lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. Welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Mirdlich. So we're going to be jumping into this episode. We're re-recording the intro uh, to specifically record somewhat of a small tribute to uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, who passed away February 20th, uh, 2023. Uh, If you've listened to our show, you've heard us talk about him a lot throughout it. He's uh, influenced both of of us in different ways. Um, With me, I just really jumped into his podcast. I, I read one book. And then jumped into the podcast. Yeah, the Naked Bible podcast. Yeah. yeah. And uh, jumped into his Revelation series. And it, and it was right around the time we covered uh, the dragon on mm-hmm. the villains. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, I was just like, all right, let's see what he has to say. And I, man, I was just blown away by the way he approached it. It wasn't the typical... Well, because I remember you were listening to Matt Chandler go through Revelation yeah. at the same time. And then you with Heiser, you're like, this is way different. You're like, I really like Matt Chandler's thing. But man, I've never heard it approached this way. Yeah, because he approached it not from like the um, typical, here is the future and the locusts are the Apache helicopter type deal. It was more of like, here's where you can find Old Testament scripture in the book of Revelation. And it's like littered throughout it. And you're like, oh, maybe it would just be Daniel chapter seven or whatever, those parts of Daniel. Uh, maybe some Ezekiel, but it's like, no, it was covering minor prophets, Deuteronomy, like just everywhere. Yeah. John was like, let me take all of the old stuff and project it into this thing that's going to happen. Yeah, so it was it was really cool. And then from there, I just kept listening to the show. Uh, just recently, he was doing uh, First Samuel that I was really enjoying. Um, unfortunately, that will never finish. But I think Carmen Imes is going to finish that. Oh, really? I think so. Oh, that, that would be Carmen cool. Imes is fantastic. Yes, yes. But it was just a fantastic kind of uh, way for me to learn. I, I mean... He, the way he taught was very dry and slow. He had like a personality to it, but uh, we always compared it to like mowing the yard and you just move over an inch and mow again and then you move yeah, over. You may want to make sure you didn't miss anything. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it really did help shape some of the views of how I uh, see my relationship with God, the relationship God wants with me, and uh, really kind of more of the spirituality behind things. You know, growing up, uh, well, I grew up Pentecostal, but, you know, going to a Baptist church, the spiritual realm isn't really talked about much. It's more of like, how can we just get through life? Mm-hmm. Um, but the spiritual realm really isn't hit all that often. And the way he approached it really did hit more of like, there's a deep spiritual battle going on. Yeah, for me, Michael Heiser, I've probably shared it on the show, but just where I was at, at a point in my life where I'd gone and studied, you know, all kinds of different le- religious texts and looking at it all. And then you know, just listening to different things and reading different things and really coming to a conclusion that there's so much of a thread of the same thing going on here, either between the teaching or between like the history behind stuff. Like everybody has a flood story. Everybody has like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it seems like they're all just teaching the same thing, but they're just different. Like nation, like, yeah, there's one God behind it all. So I was kind of heading in that direction um, more and more into Gnosticism. And just, I was even at a point of it really seemed like, oh, the goal is I need to ascend to reach like an enlightenment. Like that's the spiritual goal is to get to that. So I was almost enrolled into a school in Los Angeles and stuff specifically focusing on that. And then I came across 
Michael Heiser through his novels, actually. He has The Portent and The Facade, mm-hmm. which are fantastic books. I came across it randomly on Amazon, and I remember reading through one of the comments, and someone was like, this is the only novel that I keep on my desk as a reference book because everything in here is actually real-life stuff. He's just created a story around it. I'm like, oh, this sounds interesting because mm-hmm. he brings in aliens because Michael Heiser's into the whole UFO. He's like bringing the gospel into the UFO community. Really cool stuff. Yeah, he has that uh, fringe pop. Yeah, fringe pop. Yeah, that was fun to, to watch. Yeah, but through those novels, and then I got into the Unseen Realm, which is like his main work, really diving into the Deuteronomy 32 worldview of God has this council, and then the nations were appointed to the council, and you can get that in Deuteronomy 32. But it's when I looked at that, and I saw, okay, so there's the God of the Bible, and in the Bible, it's talking about him divvying up these nations to his, you know, created beings, to his council. But then it's the council that turned away, and I saw that that's where these other religions were coming from and why they have the similar root, but they're going away. And I didn't realize that any of that stuff was in the Bible. And Michael Heiser has a thing of saying, if it's weird, it's worth paying attention to. Mm-hmm. As well as I really like how you talk about, yeah, I don't like systems because every system cheats. And yeah. there's just a lot of stuff that you probably heard me say on the podcast that because it's really stuck. But when I look at where I was at prior, I was not really going to be following Jesus in a Christian sense. It was going to be way more in a spiritual sense and different stuff going on. But through Michael Heiser, it really brought me back into the church and then really delved so much deeper into that. And it really formed my teaching and actually gave me a love of reading the Bible again. Because mm. I kind of just thought that the only thing in the Bible was the only thing I ever heard about the Bible. And then he just opened me up to the whole scholarly world of things. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I need to be understanding and yeah. to be giving to people. And that was his thing. He was a scholar. But he wanted to give the rest of the world what the scholars were looking at. Yeah. And fantastic work. Yeah. I think the book that I really liked was uh, What God Wants. Mm-hmm. And then you also mentioned there, uh, I haven't read it yet, but there's the I Dare You to Bore Me with the Bible. I Dare You Not to Bore Me yeah. with the Bible. Yeah. And really, uh, I mean, we're going to get to covering Enoch in probably about six weeks when the excluded books of the Bible. And I only have the guts to cover Enoch because of Heiser. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it wasn't for some of the stuff I watched and the way he presented it and the way he approached it, uh, I wouldn't even touch the book. I would have been like, nope, we're not doing it. It sounds scary. I'm not touching it. <laughs> but uh, it's really because of him uh, that I felt like I was braver or in a better spot in my walk with God to, to read some of these extra books. Yeah. So that's whole, his whole thing is like, I'm not going to protect you from your Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Which obviously Enoch isn't in the Bible unless you're some types of Ethiopian <laughs> that's there. <laughs> but right. You don't yeah. need to be scared of it. It exists. You can get in and seek to understand it. Mm-hmm. And I really just, oh, where I'm at in my walk to him, I'm, along with lots of others, but specifically to him, that was a really big turning point for me. Not just in my level of, oh yeah, I want to study and get into it. But yeah, just to really walk it out faithfully and how to understand myself within the framework of God's creation, really. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing he always said is, uh, I'm not here to give into your denominational beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I just really love that because that's almost a model that I've started to live by afterwards. It's like, we, you know, you, we kind of cloud ourselves with denominational thoughts and processes. And if you remove those, it opens up a whole wide world of what the Bible is saying to you. Uh, but yeah, uh, we just really want to take this time to say thank you mm-hmm. for all the work you did. And, uh, we know you are now in the unseen realm. 
mm-hmm. and uh, being told, well done, good and faithful servant, because that's what you were. Yeah. And just to continue praying for his family Yes, um, and for his ministry. That was one of the last posts that I saw from him is he was just like, man, I'm, I'm about to go mm-hmm. be with God and I want this to continue. So to continue supporting it, praying for it and pushing it out there. And yeah, just prayers for the family, for the ministry. Yep. All right. Let's uh, finish off where we left off on Titus. Sounds good. All right. Question two. What's up with Crete? What's up with Crete? Are you speaking of Crete or are you speaking of Kaftor? Uh, both. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Crete being a large island in the Mediterranean Sea, uh, approximately 100 miles southeast of the Greek mainland. So the ancients also regarded Crete as a source, uh, as a source for skilled and brave military archers. I didn't know that, that apparently if you're a good archer, you came from Crete. Uh, it's mentioned in uh, the accounts of Paul's sea journey to Rome in Acts 27, and then obviously right here in yeah, Titus. So Acts 27, that's um, when they're going, and I want to say that the port was Fair Havens, mm-hmm. and they're going, and they stop real quick, and Paul says, hey, we're getting in that time of the year. The winds are coming. We should stay here. We should winter here. And it's weird how much detail the Bible has. I want to say there's like 267 people on board the ship. So it was a pretty big boat. And then other people were saying, nah, we can make it. We got to make it through. It'll cost too much. We got to probably get this grain to where we we're going. And they decide to go with, nah, we're going to do it. So they go and they just get completely blown off course and end up shipwrecking in Malta. Yeah. I was like, should listen to Paul. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, that's where it gets brought up in Acts 27 is they stop real quick at Fair Havens of Port on, in Crete on this island because they went i think they were going around the south side to avoid all the crazy stuff that happened on the north side but when they went through they still got caught yeah so that's acts 27 yeah uh crete in mythology is the city of knossos i want to say that's how you pronounce it and knossos knossos i don't know Knossos. one of those two we'll figure it out it's where the minotaur lives yeah that's the place often associated with the the myth of the labyrinth and mm-hmm. the Minotaur. Um, and then it's also associated with the birthplace of the god Zeus. Is it where he's born or also where he came and he married Euphora? Or yes. Europa, not Euphora, Europa. Yes. Yeah, it was both. Yeah. So yeah. he's born there and then, isn't that weird? Yeah. Your god was born mm-hmm. there, which, okay, then he's not the most high god. No. Because he was born in Crete. With all those liars. <laughs> Which we'll Hold on a tick. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And yeah, where he, he married and then uh, the, was it the Phoenician king's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then in Crete as Kaphthor. So that's in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, so there's several places in the Hebrew Bible that reference a place called Kaphthor uh, and a group of people called Kathorum in association with the Philistines. So there's Jeremiah 47.4 and Amos, which we covered, 9.7. You can look that up. Uh, scholars have associated this location with Crete, uh, with the Cretans being a uh, maritime people, then needing ships to connect with other islands and the Greek mainland. See, there's that word maritime. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have said maritime. I would have been like sea people. But when I typed it, that's what I typed. Mm. Uh, just going back to that vocabulary thing of, Right, Paul. Um, so the idea is that they might have sailed to uh, the coast of Gaza, where the Philistines' home is, and settled there in colonies. So that's where you have the, that connection there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the Philistines were also considered a sea, the mm-hmm. sea people, right? And when you get into there's a lot of the ancient Egyptian writings, I think is where you get that. But kind of talking about the Philistines and yeah. the sea people, they just kind of that's where the term sea people came from. And we know that 
Old Testament references the Philistines as them. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you probably know something about the Philistines as being a great enemy of the Israelites mm-hmm. throughout a lot. And so if you're looking at Crete as maybe being some early people to have made it over to Gaza, where the Philistines were at, right? So these these sea people. Um, but some even deeper history to that as to why that would be even more possible is that the Cretan empire is often linked with the minoan empire Mm -hmm. which is one of like the oldest empires going back like i think they found like a minoan ruin that i think it was only the walls standing but it predated like the exodus which is old right yeah and that was the minoan empire and when you look at even where this thing was situated it would have been open to it it was a palace i think it was a palace or a temple but like it was in an area that would have been open to attack and would have whatever. So it just shows like where they were at, that they were building palaces and spots that were just like, no, we're pretty comfortable in our strength mm-hmm. and in our whatever. Like no one's going to come get this. And that was just one of them, however many. But so, so they had the Minoan Empire going on. Again, they were a seafaring people. So that's where when you start connecting these dots and you go deeper into history, it's like, yeah, if anyone was able to go around and have the resources and have the technology to be hopping on boats and going around, like the Minoans had had it happening. Yeah. And I think that that's where they look at kind of the Minoan Empire being, if you were to look at it that way, the oldest European type thing. Because mm-hmm. I guess when Zeus ended up marrying Europa, mm-hmm. that's why they named Europe. Yeah, the continent to yeah. the north of Crete, Europe. Find out all kinds of stuff t- yeah. studying Titus. Right? It's like history. Yeah. It's a history lesson. Uh, so the reputation of the Cretans among the ancient Greeks. So this is during the lifetime of Titus and Paul. Uh, it was a derogatory term. Uh, Cretanized uh, was used to reference a liar. Uh, so an example of that would be the life of Lysander. Uh, Lysander? Uh, anyways, this is book, uh, and it used the expression uh, Cretanize the Cretan to describe uh, Lysider using a Cretan or a liar to lie to him. So uh, there's that. And then in the 5th century BC, the term uh, Cretanly was used to refer to acting in a two-faced manner. Some uh, shady people. Yeah. So the Cretans then claim uh, that Crete was the site also of Zeus's grave. Uh, and that might have contributed to the reputation of being liars because uh, the idea of a gravesite for an immortal god is kind of contrary. Side note, I just sent you that video of them finding Osiris's tomb. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, all these ancient gods are dead. They're all dead. Not they're ours. Finding tombs or saying that they're somewhere. Uh, so then Paul even quotes a, a Cretan writer in Titus one twelve, and it's a one of the Cretes' own prophets has said, uh, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Uh, and this is the only place where a non-Hebrew or non-Christian is referred to... As a prophet? As a prophet in the New Testament. Yeah, that's um, Epimenides. Yes. Which it seems like uh, Paul also quotes Epimenides in another spot. Um, I think it's in Antioch? Uh in Athens at Athens. the Areopagus, yeah. when it says, for in him we live and mm-hmm. move and have our being. So from Epimenides, there wasn't too much of his writings found. So we have scraps and then just references from mm-hmm. other people. But in that, they were able to find both Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy, lazy bellies. And for in you, we live and move and move here and we are. 
sorry, I was kind of reading the more uh, literal translation there. <laughs> I have it written. I was like, this sounds really bad as I'm reading it. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. You have Paul again. He's quoting stuff that they knew. It was a philosopher of the time. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, to go as far as to say a prophet, he's saying, I mean, it's one of their prophets, right? Which yeah. I guess would be accurate. Because so like, hey, they have their prophets. Yeah. yeah, they say that Aristotle described Epimenides as a seer who yeah. was more interested in giving prophetic insight in the past events than predicting any future. So uh, one of the other things I found... Well, inter- a seer would be... That was the old name for a prophet in the Old Testament. Yeah. They used to be called seers. So it's all Relative. together, yeah. Uh, uh, the other thing was the Epimenides paradox, since he's yeah. saying they're all liars, but he himself... You have a liar saying they're all liars? Yeah. Which is uh, a thing that's, yeah, come out further... Well, I guess it wasn't founded in the Bible anyways, but that's definitely a thing out there that gets brought up in philosophy classes. Mm-hmm. If you have a liar saying everyone from here is a liar, what do you do? It's a paradox. It's like the Pirate's Code. How? You've ever seen Pirates of the Caribbeans? Yes, I've seen it. Do I remember any of it? No. <laughs> the Pirates Code were just like, oh, but you got to check the code. But they're all thieves and liars who do follow the code of conduct among pirates. So it's like... It's really crazy that Pirates Code that they actually followed is that there was like way more democracy in like pirate havens yeah. than there was anywhere else <laughs> because they legit were just like, no, nah, we should all be equal and follow this thing. So like... Yes, they would also probably just shoot you and kill you and take your stuff, but they also did have the code. Yeah. But we're not... This isn't pirates. This is cretins. This is cretins. A bunch of liars with lazy, <laughs> lazy bellies. And brutes. Uh, so all this to say that the uh, Titus's task was difficult because of where he was located at. So looking at Titus's task, 1 Timothy 5 says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you would set in order what was unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he gives instruction as to what an elder should be and everything, right? You said First Timothy. <laughs> Did I really? Yeah, you're like, speaking of Titus, First Timothy. You know what it is? Right when I started reading on the Brian Study Bible, the note above oh, it yeah. to what that reference is is First Timothy, Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Yeah. So I read what it said. Yeah. Poor Titus. Poor Titus. He's not even getting love from us. We're yeah. calling him Timothy. Uh, so but yeah, the letter that, that Timothy, was the task. <laughs> uh, Titus, it's a... Uh, it does offer a little bit about the church in Crete as well. Uh, there seems to be a reflection of certain Jewish controversies, uh, suggesting that believers there included both Jews and Gentiles. So that's where he's at. Philo of Alexander said a Jew, or he was a Jew writing shortly after this, claims that Cyprus and Crete may have had Jewish communities during this period. So according to tradition, uh, uh, ruins of the 6th century church in the city of Gorton uh, that marks the site of the martyrdom of Titus. Yeah, so in looking at that, the ancient world was pretty connected with getting, being able to get to this place. Even if you look at Paul on his missionary journeys, like, dude was bouncing around all over the place, and he didn't have a car, he didn't even have a Vespa, like, he was on animals <laughs> and ships. Vespa, it, Italy, yeah. yeah, yeah. You got it. <laughs> I got it. You got on quick. <laughs> but look at how many places he went. And yeah, it was over the course of years and, and whatnot, but they're sending letters off to these places. So obviously you send a letter and whoever's taken is going to get it there. So it was pretty connected. And when you bring in that thing of, you know, having Jewish communities, because yes, they would have been, it was diaspora is kind of spread out. But then what's interesting is when you look in the book of Acts, and when everybody had come in during the time of Pentecost. So it's also thought that when Jewish people from Crete had come in for that time, that they would have received the gospel, went back to Crete, and what Titus was setting up might not have even been like the first churches. 
that by mm-hmm. the time that Titus got there, he was already working with some things that were already set up, but Paul coming in and Titus working with him were coming alongside those churches and planting new churches and making it happen. But yeah, Titus getting left there in Crete and getting this letter because Crete would have been a hard environment to be planting churches and raising up leaders. Because yeah. if you're trying to get elders that are blameless, husband and one wife, having children who are believers that aren't living in a bad way, you just told me that all Cretans were liars and scum. <laughs> like, where are you going to find these elders at, right? So he definitely has a task set out before him. And it makes sense, the 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 way it lines up in chapter two of like, uh, then breaking down to the individual people, right? Mm-hmm. And the teaching, the teaching has to be consistent. If you're going into an area where it's just a little bit, uh, just a tough neighborhood, uh, that you would have to consistently hit things because you're, you're breaking uh, habitual patterns in someone's life that if all Cretans are liars or brutes, that's just who we are. That's what we're going to do. And in that coming back to the thing of sound doctrine and good teaching being so important because we can look at, Oh, they're brutes. And we look at that as far as like their way of life and a Mm -hmm. lot of things. And, but like, what was shaping that? And you have, well, you brought up some of the Jewish teaching that was there and you can look at the Judaizers that Paul talks about a bit. And I think that even in this book, it talks about those of the circumcision a little bit too, right? Mm-hmm. So because of that Jewish presence and not all Jews were this way, but there was a section of Judaizers and all that coming in. So that could have been an influence and in needing sound doctrine. But you also look at these people and why like, okay, they were brutes and they were all that, but where did they kind of learn that and get taught that, that way of living? Crete would have been heavily influenced by the Greek and Roman pagan religions. Mm -hmm. So you have the pagan religions with the whole pantheon, right? So just like, all right, well, who in the pantheon are you following? And like all of that. But then on top of that, you have the mystery religions and the mystery cults. So like the, um, what would it be? The Eleusian mysteries, the Dionysian mysteries, um, Orphic mysteries, right? With like Orpheus and all that. But then also the Mithraic mysteries with Mithras. So you had all of these mystery things which are very secretive. And those are the types of things like, oh, no, we need to allow you into this thing and their secret teaching. And then you come take part in these rituals. So you had more of these open, yeah, everybody's worshiping these gods and these things happening. But then you had this subversive, no, there's these secret things being taught. And when you have a culture that's just been so baked into that, that when the gospel's coming in, it, you need to come real hard with like, no, we're not going into the Jude- Judaizing side with that. We're not going into the mystery cult things with Gnosticism and hidden mysteries. And like, this is the gospel. We're sticking to sound doctrine. So I think that so much of just really repeating sound doctrine, because sound doctrine is going to lead to the living, which again, also hitting on good works, good living, good deeds, follow through. And here's what that looks like. I see Titus as just a really solid picture. And when you have a bit of a background on Crete, it makes sense. Like, these guys don't know. All of their thoughts are so far outside of what the gospel is. So you have to be so firm on what the gospel is Mm -hmm. and the results of what that should be. And I think that's really when you're getting into, like, if you're going to a city that's known for liars and yeah, there there's a church already established there that needs to be cleaned up because of all the other things filtering in. Why uh, Paul is coming in and telling Titus to hit the truth harder, mm-hmm. right? The only way you're going to ever combat a lie is with the truth. 
And so you go into a city, and this is why, without knowing really the history of the Cretes, I mean, you could get a little bit because he quotes the philosopher, right. uh, but like, without getting into like really what was happening in this town and area, then Titus on the outskirts just kind of looks like it's Second Timothy or First Timothy all over again. Uh, but there are some, which it kind of is, because from what I yeah. remember, Timothy was also in some environs that. Yeah, like Ephesus, right? Yeah, dealing with all that stuff. But it's like the getting to the cities shows you a little more why there was separation and even why it was written differently. Mm-hmm. Like if you're writing to a different town or a different city, you're gonna approach that topic differently. It's like it's the same gospel, so you're still coming with like the same stuff, mm-hmm. but it's gonna come out. Yeah, yeah. So I really like that we had to like kind of go through that to get to the understanding of the first part, like the refuting why. We think Paul wrote it was because of the verbiage. Well, I mean, look at what's happening here. It's a totally different scenario than some of his other letters. And each letter, although they address certain things, are talking about different things in two different group of people. Um, so, yeah, that's Crete. So, who was Titus? Who is he? Who was who is he? he? Who, who was does he Titus? Continue to be. Who should we continue to be to <laughs> Titus? <laughs> uh, so he was an early Christian leader. He was one of Paul's converts, which is why he called him my true child in common faith. That's verse 4 of Titus chapter 1. Uh, but how he really met Paul or how he became a believer isn't written or documented in any of the biblical works. Um, he was a co-worker with Paul. Uh, unlike Timothy, who was half Jewish, Titus was full Gentile. So uh, we see that in Galatians 2.3, it mentions that he was Greek. And then the term used for Greek there can either mean a true Greek or just a non-Jewish individual. Um, he wasn't mentioned in the book of Acts. And I read that because he's not mentioned in Acts, uh, that some try to explain it away with some very interesting uh, answers. And Do tell. One of them was uh, that he was the brother of Luke. I don't know how that explains away why he wasn't, unless him and Luke had like some sort of beef. Luke's like, I'm not going to talk about this guy. <laughs> Which then if you go with what you were saying last time, that maybe Luke wrote these letters too. I don't know. Yeah. But that was just one of them. I thought it was interesting when I was reading. I thought, yeah, I didn't come across that. That's interesting. Um, the, the big thing being is that we need to remember that Acts is a selective chronicle, not intended to be an exhaustive account of Paul, all of his works and those who are with him. How many years does Acts cover? A lot. So when you consider if you kind of don't count the baby story of Jesus and then that time when he was like 10 or 12 or whatever, the Gospels only cover three to four years, right? Mm -hmm. Give or take. And there's four of them. So you have four books covering three to four years. And the Gospels say, we couldn't possibly write down everything that Jesus did. Not all of the libraries could hold that kind of information. In three years. So you have a book about a couple decades or you know something like that about all of these travels and all the people that happened all stuff and just like well you didn't mention titus (laughs) it's like (laughs) he got his own book yeah so that's why paul didn't write titus (laughs) and that's why timothy left him out or luke left him out wow (laughs) yeah and and even like the beginning half of acts is peter yeah and the early church formation and everything happening there and then it like jumps into paul i think a lot of times paul gets looked at as like the book of acts paul uh, but we forget a lot of it started off with Peter in the early church. So, yeah, I think that for me, like, I don't see that, well, he's not in Acts. It's like there's a lot of stuff that's not in Acts that was very true and very pertinent and world-changing in so mm-hmm. many ways, and it wasn't written down. Yeah. 
that's all that I have to say about that. <laughs> Uh, but where we do have Titus's name written is in 13 times he's mentioned in the other letters of Paul. So eight times in 2 Corinthians, two times in Galatians, one time in Timothy, one time in 2 Timothy, and then the letter addressed to him. Uh, so he is mentioned, just not an axe. Yeah. I just want to say Bible baby name game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Titus. So Titus being of unknown uh kind of meaning or origin, but they're thinking that it comes from Latin titulus, meaning title of honor. Hmm. And, oh, is also the name of all three Roman emperors of the first century Flavian dynasty. And it is the name by which the second of them is commonly known to history. So, Emperor Titus. What did you say it meant again? A title of honor. Title of honor. I think that really fits, too, when you look at, like, Titus... And what they presented him through the letters of what he did. Like, he did a lot of difficult tasks for, for Paul. It, was, it almost seemed like if it was a challenging mission, send Titus. Mm-hmm. Like, Titus, go do it. So, like, in Galatians, uh, we have uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, where it talks about—I'll uh, just read it. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem uh, again, this time with Barnabas. I took also Titus, and I went in response to a revelation and— Meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not uh, running and had not been running my race in vain, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because uh, some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. We did not give into them for a moment so the truth of the gospel might be preserved to you. And then it, it continues on in that chapter where uh, that they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, the Gentiles, don't worry about it. They don't have to be circumcised. You go out and preach the gospel to them. We're going to preach the gospel to uh, the Jewish people. And so they kind of split. The, the teams were split. Paul and Barnabas went on their journey, and then Peter and the rest of them stuck to what they were doing. But uh, this appears to have been the Jerusalem Council about 50 A.D., and uh, there Paul used Titus to make the case that the Gentiles who converted didn't need to be circumcised to be believers. And like I said, the council sided with them, and Titus was accepted by the other apostles and leaders of the church in Jerusalem without having to be circumcised. So Titus became a key figure in the liberation of, uh, of the infant church from the Judaizing party. And looking at that, just becoming a key leader, uh, I think that the title that's given to him is the first bishop of Crete. Yeah. So, yeah, he was involved in all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Who's hating on him because he's not an ex? I don't know. Some people. Some weird people out there. Yeah. They hate on anything. Yeah. There's also 2 Corinthians where he's mentioned. This was another task that Paul sent him to, uh, that the, the Corinthians had become unhappy with Paul and had renounced him and his uh, apostolic authority. So he sends Titus there to repair the issue, and then Titus comes back. Uh, and joins Paul in uh, Macedonia, and he told him that the Corinthians are now like they're happy with him, and they want to be, they want to love and renew the friendship that they had with Paul. And so he writes about that in Second Corinthians two six seven, and then he sends him back to Corinth, uh, probably with Second Corinthians to collect the giving that they had promised. Mm-hmm. So like the collector. Uh, he sends him that, and then from there... I mean, talking about sending him for the hard job. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had to go and collect money. <laughs> right? You need to be a certain type of person to, uh, to to make that happen. Have you ever seen... Oh, gosh, it's an old show. Uh, Repo Men? 
where they were like repo people's cars. I've seen clips of it, yeah. Uh, it was like on, I, I think it was Spike back then, but now it's Paramount Plus. But like, it was just insane that they would go and take someone's cars and they're like coming out and yelling at them, no, don't take my cars. And like, yeah, when you go take from something for someone or trying to collect, and that's really what it is. It was like, you're not paying your car. We have to repo it. I will be fair. I'm pretty sure that what was happening with the Corinthians is I'm saying, hey, we want to help support the poor people yeah, yeah, in yeah. Jerusalem <laughs> here. We'll, glad you, we'll gladly give you the money. So to be fair, yeah. yeah I, I just think of all of the situations like you said, because you said collect, but I think to, I guess we are supposed to be a little bit of biblical education type thing. It probably wasn't Titus <laughs> coming with the baseball bat saying, hey, where's my money? <laughs> I call this thumper. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know why (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean then again you read corinthians and it's like maybe no yeah so Um, i mean but i mean it's titus like he's apparently the guy who could handle the brutes and everything so that's why he's left at uh crete which is interesting because we don't need to go further into the the baby name thing but one of the other things has this kind of that unknown origin-y thing Mm -hmm. so the titulus coming from the latin meaning like honored or having that meaning but they're also looking maybe within greek it being related to titans like the titans yeah yeah it doesn't i don't know just when you said brutes yeah I'm like yeah it could also fit in with that too yeah maybe yeah. he was quite thuggish <laughs> he was a giant man yeah uh, anyways titan, titus the thug coming away from all of that insane speculation yeah <laughs> <laughs> how do we like put asterisks around the past few minutes and be like this is just nonsense. Well, I mean, we'll go back to where you, the collection part. That's all there. Okay, but yeah. then uh, everything that followed. Once I started talking, yes. yeah, it went off. Yeah, well, we made him into a mobster collector. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then he was left at Crete uh, there to clean things up, oversee things there, appoint elders. And this task was difficult because Cretans were unruly. Uh, the struggling church was already invaded with false teachers uh, as well. And I read uh, this was Simon uh, was difficult since the Crete's culture was one of moral decay. So this, it was already a difficult task. And what's cool is uh, what Titus was able to accomplish earlier set him up for the job at Crete. So mm-hmm. uh, he had demonstrated that he had a pastor's heart. Uh, he was uh, skillful. There was diplomacy was there. Uh, loving concern that required them the, that needed to be there to meet the challenge, and Paul was confident to give him this job that it was in safe hands with Titus because of all these things, and that he was a devoted friend. Yeah, looking at being a devoted friend, uh, Paul would call him brother, partner, fellow worker. Mm-hmm. So some of the just ways that he would reference him, um, and just looking at that training, I think that that's important. Just when we're talking about not everybody's mentioned and not everything, so we have Titus, we have Timothy as a couple guys that get their own letters, and there's a lot of people mentioned in the letters. Hey, I'm sending this guy, or he's doing this, and there's been a few letters that we've looked at. I can't think of any of the names because they're literally Greek to me, but they're like, hey, this guy's doing good, receive him, and all the mm-hmm. stuff, and just people that are around the area doing good. So again, a lot of interactions with people, but I think of when Paul was getting going on some of his journeys and Barnabas, but then it was John Mark, right? Mm -hmm. And Paul and John Mark just started beefing it. Yeah. (laughs) And where you just see like, nah, we're not going to travel together anymore. Like we just got to cut this thing off. And I'm probably getting more into again, more the preachy pastoral type episode, but just looking at 
Paul had a lot of interactions with people. There's a lot of people that came around. You see in John Mark where they, that just wasn't going to work between them. You see with Titus and Timothy getting, you know, a lot more under the wing mentorship type thing happening. Then you have a lot of other people who were mentioned who were doing good things and so many people who just weren't mentioned. But how you were just saying that these guys had shown something through those mm-hmm. travels that resulted in them being placed in Ephesus, being placed in Crete, getting these follow-up letters that we have to where, yeah, the things that we go through in life, God uses them, you know, to, to get us into situations yeah. to be used. I, I read this. I thought it was cool that uh, it said the willingness to serve consistently in the shadow of more prominent people. Mm-hmm. Like that was the description of Titus. And it goes back to like the no mention of him in Acts type thing. Uh, but yeah, the, the just Titus seemed to just work in the shadows consistently. And yeah, it was Paul who got the, I guess, the fame of it all. But Titus, who was over there, you know, all right, you need an example in front of the council of a Gentile who's following and sticking to everything. But I don't, you know, the circumcision thing doesn't need to be happened. Uh, you need someone to go collect your money. I got that. You need someone to repair a, a relationship. I've got that. And he just did it all so just willingly. I just when he said that he was in the shadows. I'm still just picturing him as the mob boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the shadows with Thumper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, poor Titus. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You have more on that? I feel like you covered a lot of stuff right there. Oh, uh, yeah. I think uh, you touched on it too. Uh, that So Eusebius wrote that Timothy was recorded as the first bishop of Ephesus, and Titus uh, was also the first bishop in Crete. So in Second Timothy, Titus t- uh, goes to—he's in Dalmatia. Uh, Is that where the dogs are from? I think so, but that's also now Yugoslavia. Uh, so he's there, and, uh, and then so— if, Tradition says that he becomes the first bishop of Crete. Eventually, he then does have to go back to Crete, and that's where uh, he ends, spends the rest of his time. Side note, but just we've mentioned bishop. Mm-hmm. Depending on your flavor of Christianity that you're currently enjoying, <laughs> bishop. I really like the way you phrase that. <laughs> bishop might have been an ingredient that's not included in yours. Yeah. I mean, just looking at. I don't know. I've been mostly Baptist churches gr- in, growing up and being around. Not in the starter pack there. Yeah, it's. I didn't get those nuts sprinkled on top, right? <laughs> but really, Baptist church is just like bishops. <laughs> Sorry, just thinking of bishops as nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not helping this episode at all. Uh, Either of them. I really need to have some form of caffeine before. Drink. Yeah, well, it's um, good stuff. Get, get my, my B vitamins, but yeah. So where was I? Flavor. Flavor. Bishop's yeah. not being part of the ingredients in your flavor. Baptist. Because Baptist. Growing up Baptist for most of the stuff, there's no bishop talk with anything. There's no like presbyter talk and elder talk for most of them. I guess there are some Baptist churches that have more of an elder rule. But for the most part, our form of leadership is you have a pastor. And especially the autonomy that Baptist churches like is that we're connected, but we're not like I forget the word that they use. No one's above us, basically. Mm -hmm. Everyone is on the same level. So when you have in early church history, somebody like Titus being a bishop, being, you know, an elder, and you look at these things, and he's going, and he's appointing elders. And it's just interesting to see even Eusebius recognizing him and Timothy as bishops. And just bringing it up as a point of awareness, I guess, for people to look at both church history and 
other denominations that are currently around and that have been around in the past that bishops are a thing. Mm -hmm. And if you're part of a denomination that doesn't have them, you might just want to ask why. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the reason for it? And that's a study to do on your own. <laughs> and no, ask people. It's just like, because yeah. it's there. Well, let's teach some critical thinking here. Why isn't it there? Was that just a New Testament thing that was only happening there? Is it because of their times and culture? Are we able to just be autonomous churches that are led by pastors and we don't need the other thing happening? Is like, as you grow in your faith and you have these things, it's like, it's mentioned in the Bible. These people were being set up in these positions. It's not now, maybe, depending on where you're at. Why? I'm bringing it up not as a point of I'm going to tell you. I'm bringing it up as a point of think. Yeah. Study. Search. It might not be the thing that interests you, in which case, be happy with your flavor and no nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's a really good point to bring up. I, I, I really feel like sometimes uh, we define really hard lines within Christianity Mm -hmm. based on terminology and what people say and how people say things. And it's like, you know, we're talking about the same thing or there's just, well, why are we so against this thing, but not against that thing type thing. It, it, it is the weirdest thing to me, denominations, um, especially like growing up Pentecostal, now being a member at a Baptist church, but most of the time not even recognizing myself as either of those things, but more of like, I enjoy the Bible, I'm reading it and I'm studying it. Follow Jesus to the best that's been revealed. Yeah. 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 And so it is interesting and all that. And, and even where um, we did that TikTok video for yours, and you're like, hey, you know, just say, what what do we bring that other podcasts don't? Oh, the TikTok that yeah. I posted on my Yeah, the one you made. And the answer was we pull resources from everywhere. So like a lot of times we're even talking about the Orthodox podcast that we listen to, uh, the Lords of Spirit and the church fathers there, uh, Stephen D. Young and Stephen Damick? Damick, yeah. And we talk about what they've said in what we're reading and studying. Uh, and I feel that's healthier sometimes. Pulling in, if you don't really understand someone's perspective on it, the best thing isn't to shun them. Uh, it's like our Amish friends. The best thing we could do is listen. Like, find out why are they coming from? Why do they see it that way? What's what's their their approach to it? I've recently joined a Facebook group uh, that I won't name, but I think it's called Catholics, Protestants, and Others. Um, Is it that you won't name and then you <laughs> named it? Uh, because I don't really full, fully know the last part of it. But like, it is one of the ugliest Facebook Christian believers of God that I've ever been a part of. Here's what I'm convinced of. It's because it's on Facebook. Oh, sure. Yeah. For whatever reason populations that come together on Facebook tend to have the most vitriol and just like something about being on Facebook just mm -hmm. riles people up to lose all compassion and understanding and civility to yes. us. Like, They're a bunch of cretins. <laughs> there you go. We found them. <laughs> They're all on Facebook. <laughs> I don't want to get our show canceled. I'll reel in the punches from Zuckerberg. Yeah, probably... There, but it is, I don't care. Well, I don't care if I'm on Facebook. I'm. Yeah. It is crazy though. Like uh, one of them uh, today, and then we'll get back on track. Was uh, yeah, we don't we want to turn it into the Trinity episode. Yeah, uh, was uh, you can thank the Catholics for your Bible, and that's all the guy posted. And then the debate of 
the Bible's existence. It wasn't the Catholics. Catholics this. Catholics added that. And it was just so nuts. Here's what, especially on Facebook, the amount of trolls that are there mm-hmm. that don't need to be bots that are just trolls. I think I've told you about this before. I might have even mentioned it on the show. Uh, Delilah and I had a friend super into all things Star Wars and Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica and nerded out on all of it. He could tell you what planet the resources for Han Solo's pistol came from. Mm. Like he knew the lore to the deepest amount. We were just talking about this before the show is that I've never seen an episode of Star Trek in my life. Yeah, that's weird. And I vaguely, I've seen the Star Wars things, but again, like anything that I watch, my brain isn't trying to hold on to that information. So we were talking one time and I was just like, yeah, the Millennium Falcon, I forget which one I said would win. I was like, the Millennium Falcon would definitely win against the Enterprise. Oh yeah, that's a debate. But I said it. Mm -hmm. I hardly even know what the Enterprise is. I don't. I guess I learned that the Falcon is way smaller than... I don't know. One of them is a smuggler ship. The other one... I Again, I don't care. I literally said it because it would set him off. <laughs> this was back when I was struggling in my faith and I wasn't as kind of a person. And Delilah's really helped me through a lot of stuff. She's helped me become more holy. But it set him off. And I forget who else was with him. I just looked and I was like, I've never seen Star Trek. I don't care about this. <laughs> This is just funny to me. So, like, if you're on Facebook and you see something like, thank the Catholics for your Bible, that's what's on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Somebody who doesn't care what you're going to say. Yeah. Or cares way too much. But either way, most of the time on Facebook, it's not going for a conversation. Mm -hmm. That said, if you have some real questions and need prayer, join our Your Church Friends Facebook group. Yeah. Join that one. (laughs) We're trying to collect the good people in there. Yeah. You won't. uh, No Cretans allowed. (laughs) That should be the tagline. (laughs) All right, coming uh, back. Is there more on Titus or are we getting into the Trinity? Uh, Speaking of things that won't be controversial to yeah. blow up stuff. <laughs> Speaking of things we won't uh, disagree on, uh, that was it I have for Titus. That was a lot. That was good. Yeah. But I really, what, uh, one last thing. What I really liked about Titus was uh, I, I really did study hard to find what was after Titus. Mm-hmm. Like we got a lot of that with Timothy. We got a lot of that with Philemon and Onesimus. Like we right, knew right, what right. happened to them and and how they were martyred. Um, but I couldn't find any of that with Titus. Forgotten. That forgotten, yeah. That uh, As I dug in deep, it was just like, I think I opened up at least 15 uh, Bible dictionaries, commentaries on like what happened to Titus afterwards. And I, I only got like a small glimpse of he may have been martyred there. But mm. uh, I really find that with Titus, you do just have this person who was devoted, willing, and so much just wanted to do what God wanted for his life, that wherever the journey took him, he wasn't afraid of it. Uh, He just went forward with it. All right, I think that's a good spot to split this episode. So we'll split this episode and save the rest of the conversation for the next episode. So I'm Chris. I'm Yurdu. We're your church friends. Thanks for listening. Abaka. Nahum. Obadiah, Jude, Philemon, Haggai, Amos.